This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. powerful, powerful passage of scripture uh, because it tells us that we have victory over sin. And man, that's a really big deal for us. Uh, and we'll see why in just a moment. Just to kind of get you caught up and give you a little bit of a refresher when it comes to uh, our series through Romans. The end of Romans chapter five tells us about God's amazing grace. God's grace is so good. It means that it's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyways. And you and I, despite the fact that we have sinned against God, we've broken his rules, we've broken his law, God continues to give us his grace. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, get your Bibles open at Romans, uh, back up to Romans 5, verse number 20 is a, a verse that you should circle, star, underline in your Bible. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. God wanted to be really clear as far as what his rules were so that you could see how badly you've broken his rules. Verse number 20 tells us, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's good news for you and I because when we sin, the Bible says that God's grace always covers it. That word uh, uh, much more abound means super abound. God's super grace super covers all of your sin. So if you've got a little bit of sin, God's grace always covers it and then some. If you've got a lot of sin, God's grace covers that and then some. You cannot outsin the grace of God, which is great news for us. But it might be misconstrued by some people who might think to themselves, well, if God just continues to forgive sin, then that means I can continue to sin and God continues to forgive. And so if I've got a little bit of sin, God will cover that and then some, but I can sin a whole lot. Like I can get away with it because God will always forgive my sin. And so Paul anticipates that our sinful carnal hearts might find a way uh, to find a loophole in the grace of God that allows me to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. So he begins chapter number six, verse number one, and he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. But like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in his likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. The Bible says that you and I were born into this world alienated and estranged from God. We can't come to God on our own because we've rebelled against God. What that means is God gave us rules to follow. You and I didn't want to follow those rules. We didn't want to obey God. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. And, and given the opportunity to do what God wants or to do what I want, nine times out of ten, we'll choose what we want. 
And then if God wants us to do something, we'll kind of evaluate that, whether or not we like what God says, and we'll choose to maybe follow him or not. And that causes a problem between us and God, because the Bible says that makes us enemies of God. We're not on God's team. We're not God's children. The Bible says we're born the enemies of God because of our sin. Now, our sin has separated us from God so that we can't come to him. We're not his children. We can't call him father because we've rebelled against him. That's problematic for a few reasons, not the least of which is when you die in your sin, you will be separated from God because of that, and God will punish you. Not good news, worst news you'll ever hear in your entire life. Because of your sin, God is required to punish you. What's the use in having rules if nobody follows them? What's the use in in having rules if when you break them, there's no consequences? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because we have rebelled against God, what we have earned for ourselves is death physically, and then after we die, to be separated from God in a place called hell that burns real fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. The Bible calls it the second death. That's the worst news anybody could ever get. But here's the best news you could ever receive. God does not want you to go to hell. God does not want you to be separated from him. God wants to forgive you of your sin and make things right with you. He wants that, but he can't just allow you in. He can't just give you a pass. He can't just say, "Uh, I made some rules. You didn't follow them, but I mean, that's okay. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. No, there's, there's consequences for our sin. And again, it's death. It's punishment. So God made a way for you to come to him by placing your sin on someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. The Bible says Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here's how it breaks down. You were supposed to die, but Jesus died for you. You were supposed to be punished for your sins, but Jesus was punished on your behalf. You were supposed to endure the full wrath and fury of God and the weight of your sin, but the wrath, fury of God and the weight of your sin was placed on Jesus instead. So, there's a decision that you have to make for yourself. I can't make it for you. This, is, this forgiveness that God offers is not just a blanket forgiveness for all mankind. It's a choice that you have to make. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe that he's the only way to heaven? Do you believe that he was raised the third day of his own power? If so, and you are willing to put your faith in Jesus... And ask God to forgive you of your sins. The Bible says you can be saved or born again. Those words are synonymous. And so the question that every person must ask, have you been saved? Have you been born again? If not, today's your opportunity. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to go to communion. You don't have to talk to anybody or tell anybody what you've done. You just need to put your faith in Jesus and ask him to save you from your sin, and in a split second, he'll save you. But it's such a big deal. Jesus says this in John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It's the most important thing in the world. The most important thing in the world is not, uh, do you pray, do you attend church, do you do good, are you a good person? Those things are important, but none of those things matter if you have not been born again. And so you need to know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Now, when we are born again, the Bible says that you and I are placed into Jesus Christ. So we are in Christ. 
So as we look at this passage this morning, we take a look at uh, verse number three. We'll start there. The Bible says that in Romans chapter six, verse number three, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. So we're going to break down some terms and we're going to maybe set aside some misconceptions that you might have with uh, this particular passage of scripture. First of all, to be baptized, the word baptized comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to plunge, dunk, or immerse. That's what the word baptism means. Now, this definition is really important as we look towards uh, understanding Romans chapter 6 and what that means for us. Plunge, dunk, immerse. Now, typically, when we speak of baptism, the majority of the time we're talking about believer's baptism. For example, uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, three weeks ago, we had nine people who told the church their story of how they were born again. Uh, they told their story of, hey, I accepted Christ as Savior. Hey, I was sitting in a church service, and I heard the gospel preached, and everything clicked for me. And in my seat, in the middle of a church service, I prayed and asked God to save me from my sin, and he did. Another person was talking with their, uh, their parents after uh, church one night, and they talked about the gospel, and they, they went through the gospel with their parents, and they accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Every one of them had a story of how they had been born again. And these nine people then afterwards went over to Alamoana Beach Park, and we went out into the water, and we went into the water, and I asked them, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they said, I have. I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I took them and I put them under the water and I brought them up out of the water uh, and everybody clapped and celebrated. It was an awesome thing. We call that baptism or believer's baptism. And so typically when we talk about the word baptism, we're talking about believer's baptism. Now, baptism is for everyone who has been born again. If you've been saved, you've accepted Christ as Savior, you identify yourself as a Christian in a biblical sense, you need to be baptized. Uh, when we talk about baptism, uh, believer's baptism takes place by immersion after salvation in a church of solid Bible doctrine. So when we break it down uh, scripturally, what it means to be baptized, by immersion means completely and totally under the water. Again, the word baptizo uh, or baptize means plunge, dunk, immerse. I can't take a handful of water and put it over the top of your head. Uh, I can't stick my thumb in a cup of water and put it on your forehead. That's not baptism according to Scripture. By the same token, I cannot scripturally baptize you if you have not accepted Christ as Savior, if you have not been born again. We have people call us just about every other week asking us if we will baptize their children, uh, baptize their babies. And I give them an answer from the Bible. In the Bible, the only people who get baptized are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's it. A baby doesn't have the capability to put their faith in Jesus. Therefore, babies can't get baptized according to Scripture. Now, people say, well, I don't like this church because you don't baptize babies. This isn't a church decision. This is a Bible decision, okay? And if the Bible told us to baptize babies, man, we'd line up all the kids out of the nursery and start dunking them one after another, right? But again, Scripture doesn't give us the capability to do that. Scripture tells us to baptize people by immersion after salvation, and it's done under the authority of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Uh, so again, the Great Commission to go in, baptize, teach is given to the church as a whole. Uh, this is why you don't grab your uh, friends on a Friday night and baptize them in the pool in your backyard. Uh, it's done through the local church under the authority of a church that was given by Jesus Christ himself. Now, sometimes people come to our church from other churches that have baptized them. 
Uh, maybe they baptized in under different doctrine, for example, uh, very popular amongst the, church, uh, the churches of Christ, as they're referred to. Uh, they believe that baptism saves you. If you're taking notes today, you can write out beside you in your notes here, baptismal regeneration and put an X beside it, because that's a false doctrine. That if you go under the water, the water washes your sins away, and you, when you come back up, you're clean as can be. Uh, that could not be further from the truth. The Bible says that we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what cleanses us from our unrighteousness, not water. Water could never save anybody if it wanted to. And so if somebody comes from a church where they got baptized believing that their baptism saved them, we would ask them to be scripturally baptized. Uh, somebody got baptized as a baby when they didn't have control over that or weren't, were not, uh, had, had not made a profession of faith. We would ask them to be scripturally baptized according to that. And so typically when we talk about the term baptism, we're talking about uh, believer's baptism that takes place by immersion after salvation in a church of solid Bible doctrine. If you've been saved and born again, but you've never been baptized, we can help you with that. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be having a baptism service on a Sunday uh, after the 10 o'clock service. We head over to Alamona Beach Park. We baptize over there. Uh, we celebrate, and then we, uh, we, we go home. So if you're interested in that, we can hook you up. If you're here today and you say, I don't even really know for sure that I'm saved, we can totally hook you up with that and introduce you to the person who loves you more than anything in this world, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, we want to help you find and follow Jesus. It will be the greatest joy of your entire life. Because that's what the church does. We help people find Jesus, we help people obey Jesus, and then we help people for the rest of their lives follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. So when we talk about baptism, 90% of the time we're talking about that. But when we see in Scripture here the word baptized, that we're baptized into Jesus Christ, uh, I believe in this particular passage, my interpretation uh, of this passage. Now, again, I want to give you a caveat, because some good Bible scholars and well-meaning Christians disagree on what this baptism that it speaks of here in, in verse number 3, uh, 4, and 5 is actually talking about. I believe, based on Scripture and based on the interpretation of this particular passage here, when it says that we are baptized into Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that I took you over to Alamoana Beach Park and put you under the water. It means that when you got saved and you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you were plunged into Jesus, you were immersed by Jesus, and you were covered by Jesus, and you are in Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you believe that your water baptism does that, we'll just agree to disagree. And we, uh, if you want to talk about it, I would love to sit down and talk theology with you. I love stuff like that. But for the sake of this message here today, I believe the important part is not have you gone under the water. The correct thing to look at is have you been made one with Jesus Christ? And that doesn't take place by water. It takes place by faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we're saved, we're baptized into Jesus. We're made one with him. We're permanently immersed in and made one with Jesus Christ. This is a really big deal because as you study through the New Testament, the words in Christ, in him, and in the Lord are used 164 times in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul alone. 164 times Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, in the Lord, or in Him. 164 times. That means it's a really big deal. Again, you take a look at the Bible. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus says this in uh, John chapter 17, verse number 21. It's in your notes. That they all may be one, as thou, my Father, art in me, and I in thee. So again, the picture is that Jesus Christ is in God the Father. 
that they may be also one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I give unto them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So Jesus has this idea. I'm really weird, so if this illustration helps you, you're weird like me. If it doesn't make any sense, please just forgive me, okay? In my mind, when I hear this of Jesus saying, I am in you and they are in me, I think of like those Russian nesting dolls, you know, that you break open and then you keep putting them in there and you keep opening them, there's stuff inside and it's just like that. Okay, the, the, big, the big doll is, is God the Father. Jesus says, I am in you and we are one. And then they are in me. So you and I, when we are baptized into Jesus, we're made one with Christ, which automatically makes us one with the Father at the same time, okay? Really bad illustration over at this point. Okay, so again, here's the idea is that when we are baptized in Christ, we are made one with him for how long? Forever. And again, that takes place at the moment of salvation, not by a scriptural baptism. Now, does that mean that our scriptural baptism is not important? Absolutely not. Our water baptism is a symbolism of our union with Christ. Anytime you see someone being baptized in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, there's one thing you can automatically assume without fail. This person has been saved by Jesus Christ. Automatic. Now, you say, well, well, you know, I got baptized as a kid before I ever got saved. Again, I say in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. There's some churches that will baptize anybody and everything, right? Uh, there, there's churches that will baptize your cat, right? And I'm talking about that. I'm talking about Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. You can automatically assume this person has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. That's a safe assumption in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Now, that's a symbolism that this person has been born again. This person has been made one with Christ. And just as Jesus Christ was baptized, this person also is baptized. But it goes one step further that Romans 6 tells us here in verses 3, 4, and 5. That as they are baptized, they're baptized as a picture of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So when the folks that we baptized uh, three weeks ago, when they went down into the water, that was a picture of their death with Christ. When they went under the water, it was a picture of their burial together with Christ. When they came up out of the water, it was a picture of the resurrection of Christ. So this symbol of baptism is a picture of the oneness that we have with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. We've been all made to drink in one Spirit. So Jesus Christ has baptized us. He has covered us all into one body. What body is that? It is the body of Christ. Who we call a Baptist church is the body of Christ. If you are a saved believer here today, you are part of the body of Christ. If you're not, you say, I've never been saved. I've never been born again. Let me invite you into the body of Christ. All you have to do is believe and put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sin, and you can be part of the body of Christ. And let me tell you, it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. 
But your baptism is a picture of that union together with Christ. Our water baptism is important because it's a picture of an outward expression of an inward decision. I want to display publicly to the world, to everybody who will see, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Every single time we baptize over there, there's a group of people that are at the beach that somebody else wander over and say, hey, what are you guys doing? What's this whole thing about? And I love it because it's an opportunity to say, hey, this, these people that are being baptized today, they've accepted Christ as Savior, and they want to show everybody that, of the decision that they made. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, this lady had walked up to, to my wife uh, one time, and she says, hey, what are you guys doing out there? And she said, we're, being, uh, we're baptizing people because they've, they've um, met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And she said, well, I got baptized, but it wasn't like that. And I said, what was it like? She said, I went up to the front, and the guy dipped his thumb in the water and put it on my forehead. She goes, this out here, this is beautiful. And my wife says, yeah, because this is how our Savior was baptized. And the lady's like, really? Tell me more. Great, I'm glad that you asked. And my wife had the opportunity to go through the gospel and talk to her about what this actually means, what they're doing. But again, uh, this is important because this is a picture of what's already taken place. This is a picture that I am now one with Jesus Christ, and as he was baptized, I too am also baptized. But again, it goes a step further than that. But it's always important to understand that water baptism doesn't save, only faith can. If there was anything in the world that you could do to be saved, then Jesus wouldn't have had to do all the work. And let me say this again, if you say that uh, you have to be baptized to go to heaven, that means that Jesus did his part, you've got to do your part, and then, and then that'll be enough to go to heaven. That's saying that Jesus didn't do enough. If Jesus has to do 50% and I do the other 50%, then that means that I actually have earned in some way my eternal life. And the Bible says you couldn't earn it if you wanted to. The moment that you and I add our works into the grace of God, the Bible says it's no longer grace. And so if you think that you can be saved by any means other than Jesus, you need to look at the scriptures because it says only Jesus can save us. Now again, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12 tells us that we are justified. We're declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope by the glory of God. So we are saved, we are justified, we are declared righteous. God washes your sins away and sees you as perfect and sinless from a legal standing. By what? By faith alone. And so it is enough to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have to be baptized to go to heaven. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You have to be baptized to be a Christian. You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian. Do I have to be baptized to be an obedient Christian? Guaranteed. You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian, but if you want to be an obedient, growing Christian, you need to be baptized. Bottom line. You know, I don't have to be a member of a church to be a Christian. You don't. If you want to be an obedient, growing Christian, you need to be a member of a church where you're engaged and serving and growing together with the body of Christ. Now, that's water baptism. When we take a look at what it means to be baptized in Christ, and again, if you're taking notes, you should write out to the side there, union with Christ. And you're going you're to do a deep dive on that. Oh, it is so, so good. But being baptized into Jesus Christ means we are one with Christ. Being baptized into Jesus identifies us with his death. Take a look at verse number four in our text here this morning. Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk 
and newness of life. So baptism into Jesus means a death to our flesh. So the day that you got saved, when you were born again, your flesh died just like Jesus died on the cross. Now, this is a beautiful picture because when Jesus hung upon that cross, he put my sin to death so that when I was saved, my sin, my flesh was also put to death with Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse number three. Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And so just as Jesus died when we are born again, we die to our flesh. And so again, There's a rich symbolism of being baptized into Christ. Just like Jesus died, you die to your flesh. Just like Jesus died, when we were born again, our flesh is dead. Now, this is, Paul's getting ready to tee this up for us, okay? We're just, we're just like, to use a baseball analogy here, I'm not a huge fan of of baseball, but to use a baseball analogy, we're getting in the batter's box and we're trying to get our footing here so that we're getting ready to knock it out of the park. That's what Paul's doing for us right here. Because he's trying to explain to us throughout the rest of chapter number six, okay? He's trying to tell us that you don't have to obey your sin anymore. God's grace, the power of the gospel in your life, the spirit of God inside of you is so much more powerful than your own sin. But he has to let you know before you get there that your flesh died together with Jesus Christ. Therefore... Can I continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, I guess you could, but your flesh is dead if you're in Christ. Well, my flesh isn't dead. My flesh is alive. Then maybe you're not in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, then your flesh died with Jesus. So just as Jesus died when we were born again, we died to our flesh. But baptism into Jesus identifies us with his resurrection. So again, being baptized into Jesus, my flesh dies, but it means rising again to live in him and live for him. Let's take a look at verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. When you got saved and were put in Jesus Christ, your flesh died. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk, get this phrase, in newness of life. So, again, my flesh died with Jesus when I was born again, but my spirit was raised together with him. That last phrase in verse number four is critically important, to walk in newness of life. Now, I know good Bible preaching churches, when they perform a baptism for someone, they'll baptize them, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. They say that, uh, quoting Romans 6, when they baptize. I don't have a problem in the world with that. I'm not, they're not false teachers or heretics or anything like that. It's just, I think this is a little bit deeper than just the day that you got baptized. I think by being placed in Jesus Christ and being alive in the Spirit now means that you get to walk a new life, whether you've gone under the water or not. You're in Christ. You're automatically to walk in a new life. Now, this should cause us questions when someone has made a profession of faith, but nothing in their life changes. Well, I prayed a prayer at church that one time, and then I went back to my sin, and I continued to live in my sin. I don't feel guilty for my sin. I don't really care about my sin. I don't really care about the things of God. Then the question is, are you really in Christ? 
Because if you're in Christ, your flesh should have died. If you're in Christ, your, your spirit should be alive. If you're in Christ, you should have the newness of life. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, he puts it so beautifully. Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this, Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ. When Jesus died, I died with him. Nevertheless, I live, even though I've been crucified, I'm still alive. But it's not Paul that's alive anymore, but Christ liveth in me. So, the, the me that you see isn't Paul anymore. The me that you see now is Jesus. And it's like, oh, Apostle Paul, what great faith. No, 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 no. He's giving us an example to follow. You and I should also be crucified with Christ and alive in Jesus Christ at the same time. That the life we, which we now live, we don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit for the glory of the one who saved us. That's the whole idea behind being born again. It's not that you could get your ticket punched to heaven and go back to your sin again. It's that you're delivered from the filth and the garbage and the cesspool of your sin. Don't go back to it. And here's the other question, that if we are alive in Christ, dead to ourselves, alive in Christ, why are we dilly-dallying around with sin? Because Christ has no part in sin. Christ hates sin. Christ was executed because of our sin. And if Christ is alive in us because we are in Christ, what do we have to do with our sin? So in sharing the gospel with people over the last 20-plus years, I've had a lot of conversations with people and Sometimes people are on the fence. Okay, I don't want to go to hell, but at the same time, I don't really see anything wrong with the way that I live my life. And like, yeah, okay, if, if praying a prayer will get me to heaven, then I, maybe I'm willing to do that. But like, I don't really want to do the whole following Jesus thing because I got a good thing going. I don't really want to change the way that I'm living in any way. And so the question inevitably comes up, well, can I put my faith in Jesus and still go back to my sin? First of all, the answer to that is, can I pray a prayer and then just continue to live my life the way that I want to? The answer to that is no. Because prayers don't save people. Changed hearts save people. And if my heart's changed, it's going to want to change. So can I just pray some prayer and go back to my life as, as it is and, and, and just go to heaven anyways? It doesn't work that way. Then the question comes up. Okay, if I'm born again, if I've been truly, legitimately saved, and then I go back to my sin or continue to live in my sin. Can I do that? Well, if I get saved, can I still have sex with my girlfriend? Yeah, but why? Well, if I get saved, can I still continue to, you know, use foul language and watch dirty movies and, you know, get drunk on the weekends? I mean, I guess you could, but why? If you, because here's the thing, to be truly born again, you have to see your sin for what it is. The Bible requires you to repent. Uh, the Greek word metanoia is the word we translate into English called repentance. It means a change of mind where we agree with God. God says this is garbage. I believe now that this is garbage. God says that this is death. I believe now that this is death. It, we, metanoia, a change of mind, repentance doesn't say, God says this is garbage, but I think it's all right. God says this is going to kill me, but I'm not really going to die. That, that's not true repentance. And so 
could we continue to live in sin and be forgiven? Yeah, but why? And Paul's making a case here in, in Romans chapter 6. Okay, yeah, the grace of God can cover all your sin, but do you want to continue in sin that God's grace may abound? Two words for that, God forbid. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances whatsoever should you take the grace of God and use it as an opportunity to do whatever you want. Because being dead in Christ means that that part of me is dead. It no longer lives. Paul's writing to a young pastor by the name of Titus in the book of Titus. The New Testament has broken down many of the, the, the books of the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to people. He wrote to the church at Rome. We call it Romans. Wrote to the, churches, uh, the church at Thessalonica. We called it First and Second Thessalonians. He writes a letter to a young pastor. We call it a pastoral epistle or a letter to a pastor, you could say. Titus. There's three of them, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Titus chapter uh, 2, verse number 11, he says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So what did the grace of God do? Did it come to us so that we can continue in sin? Nope. Did the grace of God come to us so that we can have a get-out-of-hell-free card? Nope. Did the grace of God come to us so that we could just live ever how we want to and then God will just forgive it all at the end of the day? No. The grace of God teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust and we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God tells you and I, you cannot continue to live in a way that kills you. You cannot continue to live in a lifestyle of death. You have to deny that. I'm no longer a part of that. That's the old me. I can't do that anymore. That's what the grace of God does. And I don't have time to preach this passage, but I want to, because it says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Like, hey, remember, Titus, to tell everybody that you have the opportunity to shepherd and influence that we're really sitting around waiting for the day that we get to see Jesus face to face. Because those of us that are children of God will one day meet Jesus Christ eyeball to eyeball. What a day that's going to be, right? We sang about that this morning. Oh, glorious day. When I get to see Jesus face to face, man, Living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away. Living, he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Paul tells Titus, that is the hope that we're looking for. That what, that's what, what gets some, some gas in the engine. That's what, what is the passion that fires us up, that we'll see Jesus. But he did what? That he might redeem, him, him, redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I'm going to break that down for you. First of all, the word redeem means to purchase, to actually pay a price to, to receive something. You and I were redeemed from what? According to this verse, from our iniquity, from our sin. Jesus paid to get us out of our sin. How much? He gave his life. He shed his blood. That's what he paid to purchase you from your sin. Now imagine this, Jesus given his life to purchase you back from your sin, to redeem you, to make you clean, to call you his, to place you in him, which places us in God the Father, only for you and I to say, I think I want to go back to my sin instead. 
No, 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 no. You're in Christ. You, you, you can't do that because he's redeemed you from your iniquity. And what does that do? He purifies us unto himself. And Paul calls us a peculiar people. The word peculiar in this case does not mean weird. It means a purchased possession. Hey, he wants a group of people that he has bought and paid for that would deny ungodliness and deny worldliness and that they would be, the end of this verse in Titus here, zealous of good works. That they would be fired up about doing good in the name of Jesus. That they would be so passionate about helping other people find and follow Jesus and change their life and turn it all around. That's what God's people do. They're not a group of people just like, well, I prayed that prayer. Let's go knock back a few beers and get high and chase some women tonight. What? Absolutely not. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't forget that you were baptized into Jesus Christ and your flesh died with that. And when you arose into new life, you arose to walk in newness of life, not the old garbage you had before. Because when Jesus was put to death on the cross, my sins were put to death. My sin died on the cross with my Savior. Praise God, I don't carry it any longer. I don't have to feel guilty about all the wrong that I've done. I don't have to carry the weight of my sin. My sin was carried all the way to Calvary and it was put to death upon the cross. When I sin against the grace of God, and I will, and I do, I run back to the same place where I found forgiveness, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus saves sinners. And Jesus forgives sin and put all sin under his blood. I'm thankful for that. I'm not a perfect man, but I am a forgiven man. And so my sin was put to death. So again, the idea that I would go back to that is just like Paul's like incredulous, like, oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. You've been set free from that. When Jesus rose from the grave, my sins were left behind at the cross. When he rose from the grave, he proved that, that death has no power over him. Sin, death, the grave, all put to death and because Jesus is victorious over that. So my sin has no more power. Like you've taken the teeth out of it. Sin no longer has dominion on me. Take a look at verse number 7 in our text. Romans chapter 6, verse number 7. Now he that is dead is what? Freed from sin. I'm free now. And just as Jesus rose when we are born again, we rise to new life in him, and we are free from our sin. Now imagine this. I commit a heinous crime, heinous crime, such a heinous crime, I won't even speak of it, it's that bad. I'm given life in prison, and I'm given a death sentence, I'm going to die. The moment that all the appeals work through and all the paperwork is done, I'm going to be put to death. I sit in prison for 20 years while it works its way through the court system, never getting out, I'm going to die one day, I just resign myself to this prison cell. And then one day somebody stops by and says, hey, Mr. King, somebody has paid your penalty and has died in your place. You're free to go. What? Who do I have to thank for this? His name is Jesus. Wow. And I, I bust out of prison. I put my clothes back on. I walk out onto to free soil. I'm breathing free air. I can go anywhere and do anything that I want to. And I decide... Freedom isn't that great after all. And I turn around, and I go back in, 
and I find my old cell, and I shut the door myself, and I lock the door, and I flush the key down the toilet. You'd say, what's wrong with you, right? Why would you go back to bondage when you've been set free? That's the entire story of Romans chapter 6. You've been set free. Why on planet Earth would you go back to bondage again? And so this new life that we have, it's not only a freedom of sin, but it's walking with God. It's pursuing this new life, not by myself, but with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, and 16, hey, when I leave, I'm going to send you the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and he's going to be with you. He's going to teach you all things and remind you of the things that I, I've said. He's going to convict you of sin. The Bible tells us also the Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't even know what to say. God says, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. So Jesus has promised to give us his spirit. He's promised to walk beside us through life. And he's promised to place us in him, which happens to be in God the Father as well. So I have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I'm inside all of those, and they are in me. That's a new life. That's powerful. And so the song we sang this morning, who's like the Lord our God, our Messiah, where? Here beside us. Jesus is not some disconnected deity up in heaven that like we tell stories about. He walked our earth. He felt our sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, but yet without sin. And he has promised to walk with us through this life that we no longer have to bow to the master of sin. We get to now walk with the master of Jesus. Oh, what a gift. I work at a CrossFit gym, and the gym that I go to is dog-friendly. People bring their dogs and run around and play ball and stuff like that and throw stuff. And every now and then, people bring in their dogs, and dogs get in fights and stuff like that. And then every now and then, there's somebody who just doesn't control their dog. Their dog has no business being in a gym. It's like come over, like, biting people and licking them while they're trying to work out. It's just like, take your dog home. You got no business being here. One time after my workout, I was stretching afterwards, getting ready to go home, and... Uh, these two dogs were playing and stuff like that and one dog you see if you've ever been around dogs and you see like their stomach start contracting really fast you're like i think that dog's getting ready to throw up and the dog did just puked everywhere well the other dog that was playing with ran over you know what i'm getting ready to say don't you and started eating his vomit and the dog walked around a circle and then came back and the both of them were eating their vomit i was just like i even have breakfast yet but like i don't want breakfast now at this point this is just disgusting you know what the Bible says? Get this, hold tight before you laugh too much. Just as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool according to his folly. When you've been set free from sin and you decide to go back and play around in sin for a little bit, you're eating your own vomit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why when I see people who have chosen to walk away from Jesus and walk back to the sin that they were set free from, I'm just like, that's disgusting. What are you, what are you doing? Because you're dead to that. You're dead to it. When you were put in Jesus Christ, you died to that. Don't give it life again. Three final thoughts here today and we're done. First of all, when I died with Jesus, my sin died with me. Praise God for that. 
I no longer have to serve sin. I'm no longer under the penalty of my sin. I no longer have to bear the guilt and the shame of my sin because all of that was put on Jesus Christ. When I received life, my sin lost its power. Again, verse number 7. He who is dead is freed from sin. The Bible tells us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are made alive together with Jesus Christ. So his resurrection gave me the power over my sin that when I became alive, just like Jesus rose from the grave, as I became alive, I am dead to my sin and I'm dead to that filth and garbage. I don't have to obey it anymore. But if I'm free from sin, my life should reflect it. I can't say that I'm dead to sin when I continue to live in sin. So again, Paul's making the case here. If you sin, will God forgive it? For sure. But don't think for a split second you can just continue to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin and God's just going to be like, all right, that's fine. I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a pass. I'll give you a pass. Absolutely not. Because if you have chosen to hook yourself back up to your sin again, you've forfeited the, the joy that comes from life in Christ. The Bible tells us in another passage that there are things that we were involved with before that we were ashamed of that why would we go back to those things again? You see, we sometimes glamorize sins. We look at it like, oh, this is fun. Oh, this is great. And social media has made that, uh, magnified that times 10 million. I hate social media and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all the other garbage that goes with it because we put on a persona that is not true. And it's I hate to be like the old fuddy-duddy pastor that says stuff like this, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. All of this social media, I, I believe there was a time, again, I have an Instagram account that I probably haven't posted to in like three years. There was a time where it's just like, oh, here's a cool photo. I'm going to post it for my friends. And then at some point it turned into a platform and then influencers and things like that. And, and social media companies have now taken all this and figured out how to keep you on the app longer and how to push you towards products and push you towards agendas and things like that and algorithms. That's not preacher talk. That's like Wall Street Journal talk. You should read it for yourself. It is 100% indoctrination. Social media and the majority of even mass media is indoctrination. And again, before you think that I'm crazy and kooky and with the, the tinfoil hat, Scientists, not unsaved, non-Christian scientists agree that there's a bias and an agenda that's trying to be pushed at you and more importantly, your children to change the way that they think and change the way that they behave. And we as Christians must do what Paul challenged Titus to do, to deny ungodliness and worldliness. I deny that. I repudiate that. I reject that. I will not be controlled by that. Because I am in Christ. So if I'm dead to sin, my life should reflect that. And I need to spend less time being indoctrinated by the, the world and more time being instructed by the Word. If you've got children, you need to work double time to make sure that that's what's going in their head and their heart. So, most important thing in the world. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If not, today's your opportunity. Jesus wants to save you from your sin. Jesus wants to save you from wrecking your life. Jesus wants to save you from death and eternal death. Will you put your faith and trust in him today? 
many of you in this room, I know your story of how you came to faith and trust in Christ and when you were saved and born again. I'll ask you this. Are you walking like you're alive in Christ? Or are you still hanging on to that sin? Do you look over the fence at your old life and think, oh, man, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? I remember back in college, man, I didn't sleep for a week straight, just out partying and hanging out and stuff like that. Oh, I remember, you know, when, when I was dating so-and-so, we used to be involved in this or that and the other. And you look back at that life with, with some type of favor. That was death. That was destruction. And when you chase after that, you'll never find anything other than a lifetime of regret and disappointment. Jesus is offering you life in him, life in the Father that is joy that you cannot fathom right now. He just needs you to trust him. And so, friend, Christian, will you walk in the Spirit this week? Will you obey God in every area of your life? Will you submit your life to him and say, hey, God, my life is yours. Do with it as you please because I trust you. I want to encourage you to do that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.